The time is 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. So, Ian, I'm keeping my fingers crossed and hoping that the technology doesn't fail us or I press a wrong button somewhere. Has yeah. there been anything interesting happening this week? Always a risk, old son. What a week in politics it's been. Sesten Croyable, they would say if they were French. But yes, they're not. It's Americans. Oh, good Lord. Well, haven't we learned... Uh, uh, have we not learned? I lost you after learned. There's plenty that we probably should have learned. A lot about life. Yeah, a lot about life, love and electoral colleges. Oh, that sounds that sounds like a, a very nice book that no one's going to write. Um, so, um, so today's show, we, um, we thought we'd, um, make it completely crazy for ourselves and discuss a wide range of topics in 40 minutes. What could possibly go wrong? Um, so we've invited on, um, a couple of guests and we've got some willing volunteers that have decided to come in and speak either for or against, um, some of the issues that we've, we've got on our card, um, to discuss today. Um, those being proportional representation whether it's a fair voting system or whether it opens the door to chaos. Voter ID, whether it's securing the ballot or disenfranchising poorer voters. Digital votes, a 21st century voting or opening the door to hackers, whether they come from Russia or somewhere else, I guess. Um, and keeping the status quo. Now, that's not the, you know, the kind of the pop rock songs with like loads of guitar. That means um, as in keeping things as they are. So we'll, um, we'll kind of work through them in order. But how's your week been, mate? Pop rock, but it's not I'm ex- just re- reeling at your atrocious de- description of status quo. Well, it's not exactly heavy rock. Is I it? saw them live on the end of the road tour, nineteen eighty-four, and it wasn't the end of the they road because they awesome. carried on. Have you? I no, 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 it wasn't. Are you not familiar with the the classic stylings of? Mark Kelly's Greasy Spoon and Dog of Two Head, some of their earlier fundamentally psychedelic works? No. No, no. Right. Well, (laughs) okay. Well, uh, I guess one of the things we should say first, because he probably listens, is congratulations to Joe Biden on being the 46th president-elect of the United States of America. Indeed. Um, it was a long time coming. It was the longest Christmas Eve ever. Um, and there's obviously lots of things that could go wrong and hopefully won't in between now and midday on the 20th of January, which is um, when inauguration takes place and he officially becomes president. Um, but yes, um, wasn't it nice actually listening to the next president of the United States and him sounding like someone that was wanting to bring a country together rather than shout and blame people um, and, um, and and really kind of interested in, oh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, intelligent conversation, really. So we shall see. Well, he was president. He was presidential, wasn't he? He was, and to steal some quotes from the from the West Wing show I love so much, you can't train the presidential voice. You either have it or you don't, and you get it when you become president. So there we go. Um, I think that was Amy Gardner tearing a strip out of um, Josh Lyman when he was trying to coach um, Congressman Santos um, in his run for presidency. But there we go. Um, that's enough nerding from me. Um, should we do on this day? Yeah. Yes, what happened on this day all so, those years ago? So all those years ago, on this day in 1923, um, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party staged the Beer Hall Putsch in Munich, um, which was effectively a coup, a coup d'etat, um, which was unsuccessful, um, resulted in... Um, some marches at which people were arrested, although Hitler escaped, 
being arrested. He he was arrested later on, a couple of days later in the country. But um, thankfully, we don't have any, um, you know, Western democracies that, um, that, you know, suffer from attempted coups these days. That's um, something we've thankfully moved on from. Uh, in 1987, 11- it depends which Facebook feed you look at, because, um, you know, uh, if you look at some of the feeds of the uh, of the Trump, I don't know what the, the term is for a Trump fanatic, they will be reposting stories about every 37 minutes about how they have been, how they have been robbed and cheated and crooked as you lated it's um and they post them like they believe them it's like martians came down in massachusetts and put an extra hundred and thirty-seven thousand votes in the biden camp did they you sure um yes of course but that that's of course why um twitter took david ike off of twitter this week um you know because he's revealing all the secrets of the lizard people um 1987 um 11 people are killed in the ira bomb attack in Enniskillen in northern ireland um, we can remember that it's you know it seems both so long ago and actually so recent, but it's um yeah peace in Northern Ireland a fantastic success. Let's not screw it up. Uh, two oh got two for two thousand and seventeen. Couldn't decide which one to go Have for. You? Yeah. So on this day in two thousand and seventeen, UK Minister Priti Patel resigns after having secret me- meetings uh, with Israeli officials. Um, and also, in oh, the, that one that, that's a that's a low, yes, it, it, it low was low blow, isn't it? Well, it was, um, uh, what so go on, what else you got negotiating with a foreign power without the permission of the of the government? Of course, that's absolutely you know, um, um it's a sad end to a political, uh, a shining political everything career. you've got in the history of the world. Um, okay, and then the other 2017 was in, in an unprecedented move. Indian officials close all Delhi schools for the rest of the week due to smog. Um, so, quality of air. Thank God that's got better. Um, so that was mm. my on on. I do day. hope when the when the time comes, you dig up your old Profumo affair dirt on the old Lib Dems that you throw about with such lively think, abandon or pretty tells you that. I don't yeah. think the, I don't think the Lib Dems had anything to do with the Profumo, Profumo affair, to be fair. Um I mean at some point there'll be something coming up about Jeremy Thorpe, I guess, if that if that's what you mean. It was the, there was the, but um yeah. <laughs> no all good. And uh, yeah, we're into our second lockdown and living the dream. And uh, I believe your uh, congratulations in order as you uh, start a new job on uh, on Monday. I do indeed. Yes, um, I don't have to go far because I'm working from home. Um, but um, yes, I'll be dealing with um, dealing with online customer service queries. So um, that's uh, brilliant. Keeps me off the streets. Um, and um, that'll be yes, it's very nice. Um, and I wish yeah, don't. Don't forget that the lag here is being a bit. Is it? Don't forget to claim you're working from home tax arrangement. Yeah, yeah, it's bad today. The working from home tax arrangement. I shall. I shall have to look into that. I. I missed that one. Yeah. Obviously, while I was trawling the internet for things to moan about from the past. Um. So. Um. Okay. So we've got hopefully a kind of uh, a packed and thoughtful and insightful show coming up um as as we said we've got um we've got those um those those major subjects if you are someone that wants to speak for or against either of those subjects please do message us um in the in the chat of the show as we broadcast live on facebook live um and i will send you the details privately about how to join so that we don't quite have everybody joining us on the zoom call um but we've got someone speaking for voter id um which will be um fan of the pod um lynn oliver and we've also got someone speaking for proportional representation, which is uh, Tim Suffolk. So we'll we'll come to those in, in kind of due course. Um, as I wait for as we wait for kind of as we wait for Lynn to join us, we were going to talk about um, voter ID first, weren't we? If memory serves. Mm. So, should we um, 
Should we kick off joining about that one? Yeah, it, it it's a subject that, that um, in my various ramblings, I think I, I wrote about this back in, I want to say 2017, when there was a voter ID trial over the water in gospel where effectively for you to vote in i want to say it was the local elections it was you had to turn up with some proof of your identity and how did it go still there i'm i'm still here well marvelous well there was it, it was a it was a mixed bag. So, you know, there were a number of people that claimed that this was a way to uh, oppress the poor and disenfranchise those that didn't have ID. But ultimately, if you look at the work that Gosport Borough Council did, they suggested that, yes, you could turn up with a passport or a driving license, but they then extended that out into either a utility or a council tax bill. And whilst there were some people turned away from the polling stations, ultimately we never discovered what their political leanings were. And, and my base position on it is that you, you, you know, to do anything in life, you seem to have to present some form of identification. And even if it's just your bank card, democratic process, just walking into the polling station and saying, I'm Brian and I live at 34 Sycamore Close and somebody with a ruler then draws a line through you doesn't feel to me like the most robust way of going about the process in 2020. So that's a that's a good setup. If I can get you to pause there because we've got Lynn is now ready to join us. So if I get Lynn in and then Lynn, um, Lynn can make her, her, her pro point. <laughs> Hello, Lynn. Lynn's joining us from uh, on a telephone call, so it will it will just be the audio. Okay. Hi, Lynn. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. We finally get a we finally get to hear a voice. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? We're we're all right. Excuse any lags. So if we end up talking With my over horrible each other. Voice. <laughs> no, not not at all. It puts it puts yeah, a human fine. That's fine. Um, so I don't know if you call Ian was just doing a making a case of he didn't kind of see what the um, what the massive problem is in a world. Yeah, where I just you... turned the sound down on that, so I may have missed the end. That's I mean to be fair, we do that with Ian all the time. It's fine. Um, I have I'm a person. You have no problem. <laughs> I have no personal problem with them producing ID or photo ID. My issue is that there will be a lot of people myself included that don't have photo id and i think if it's a requirement to produce it then it should be something to be issued with that's an interesting point there lynn because uh, again as i as i touched on with the gospel trial the sort of primary request was for photo id but there was also an acceptance that yeah. if you had something with your name and address on it then then kind of that mm -hmm. that would suffice so if, if that was the case is that something that you'd be supportive of oh yeah absolutely i've no no problem producing other id but for people like myself that don't have photo id and i would um i, I would suggest there's probably a lot of people that want to have you know um then other id either needs to be acceptable it needs to be made clear that you need to produce that before you go toddling off to the polling station, then that's absolutely fine. But if it's becoming more and more, it seems to me, not just for polling but for other things, that we are required to produce photo ID, and yet it's not a requirement to carry. Mm. And I'd, I, I, to me, that doesn't make sense. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Because we, we, for some, and I can't remember how many years ago it was, time tends to get a bit blurry for me these days, but um, there was talk of a national identity card and i think the the, the yeah. pricing on that looked you know looked extremely expensive um and again i think there you know there is an element of 
you know, I make no secrets of the fact that I'm a bit of an authoritarian. So I personally would have no trouble at all carrying a, a photo identity card if that was issued by the government. But um, I wonder whether Simon, as our perhaps more libertarian presenter, how, how he would feel about uh, about that. Um, so excuse if there's any disturbance to the stream, like a disturbance in the force. Don't worry, it's just Tim sitting patiently in the background before we get to his point. So um, bless him, he's he's sat there with his background of falling to marshes. But we'll we'll carry on talking uh, um, about the voter ID. So um, yeah, I, d I think that's a that's a kind of sa a salient point, really, isn't it, Lynn? Is that um, on principle the idea that in every other part of life we're used to having to pre present some sort of form of ID? And I remember. Um, I've been to uh, discussions about voter ID um, at Lib Dem conferences um, with um, the Electoral Reform Society um, where they, they talked about um, the case or the case not for uh, for voter ID. Um, and kind of some of those things that they kind of talked about was the level of, um, of um, erroneously or um, deliberately, um, well, basically cases of accusations of um, basically electoral fraud so I've got some stats on my exhaustive research that I did that I'll I'll, I'll share with us in a, in a second um, I'll just also mention that Phil Phil Broom's point was um, um, about just taking the poll card so I guess fundamentally the question that the the voter ID tends to is trying to answer is how do, does how does the person how does the person in the polling station know that the person turning up with a poll with a voting card, or the person saying I'm Simon and I live in X Road in in Cosham, um, knows that that really is that person? And the truth is, they don't, unless by chance they've actually seen that person come in and vote already that day. Which is actually last year one of the cases where someone was issued with a caution um, by West Mercia Police because um, the polling the polling station officers recognised that this person had actually been in already that day and voted, but had actually gone back in to vote using their father's name, whether on behalf of their father, but having not registered a, a proxy vote um, or, or um, you know, with them, um, you know, for, for whatever, you know, for other reasons that weren't quite as, um, quite as genuine perhaps, but that person ex accepted a caution. But out of, out of the uh, 592 reported cases of a of electoral um, fraud or, or accused electoral fraud in 2019, um, only um, three resulted in in convictions, um, and one, as I ju as I just said, re resulted in in a caution. Um, the convictions were. Um, a candidate falsified nomination papers so those of you not aware if you're standing in an election you have to have nomination papers so in a local election you need to get uh, you need to get 10 people from within the ward to sign and say that they are uh, that are actually voted to register registered to vote in that ward to say that they're they're confident that you're a fit and proper person um, to to stand in um, in that election um, this person was fined three thousand hardest sorry mate Hardest signature I ever signed, that one. <laughs> the old signing to say that you were a fit and proper person. Yes. That it took its toll on me, that did. Indeed, but thank you so much for, for signing my nomination papers and for letting me effective, <laughs> you know, and for um, and for my sister signing and uh, for young Thomas um, also signing my nomination papers, although he, he'd accident, you know, he just happened to come downstairs at the time and got roped into it. Um, so, yeah, that person was... Um, was Fined three thousand three hundred pound uh, for falsifying the signature on a nominate set of no nomination papers, and prevented from standing in the election for five years. Another one was um, a conviction for using someone else's vote, and that person was sentenced to eight weeks in prison, suspended for twelve months, and given a fine of fifty pound, and not allowed to vote for five years. Um, and a third one was uh, for conviction for tampering ballot papers. Someone having been refused to vote. Um, then decided to grab hold of the ballot box in the polling station and stop other people from using it. So um, they were um, charged with interfering with the ballot box and they pleaded guilty in, guilty in court. And at the time of the reporting, the sentencing had not taken place. But overall, 592 is a lot. And just to, just to you know, it sounds like a very, very large figure, but the number that were, for example, in the, par in the UK parliamentary election in December, 161. That's 0.005% of the ballots that were cast in that election. 
um, in the European elections in May, 21 um, accusations, 0.0012%. So on one hand, I won't go through all of the numbers, but on one hand, voter ID seems to be a solution to a problem that isn't actually there. Um, on the other hand, you need ID for everything else. And how are we actually, how would we ever know if someone was just turning up and pretending to be someone else? That was my, that was my point on data. Did you, I'll, I'll let you come back on that, Lynn. And there was another point I wanted to make about the cost of ID. Any, any response to, to, to what well, I said I, there? I agree with you. That, um, I agree that turning up with a card doesn't um, guarantee the, the genuine article, so to speak. But um, So a photo ID would, that bit, wouldn't be able to solve that issue. Um, the cost... Now, I think when we had this discussion about it on Facebook, I said that I wouldn't mind paying towards that, but I would assume that there were a lot of people that could not afford to do that or would not be willing to do so. So that is an issue for discussion. Um, however, like I said before, if we are required more and more to produce ID, photo ID, for situations, uh, for do all online orders for the doctors. You need photo ID. Having seen the doctor, having been asked to make another appointment and asked to set up online um, booking, and I couldn't do it because I didn't have photo ID. I'd just come out of the surgery. It's ridiculous. So I'm getting away from the subject, but I'm just saying if, if more and more photo ID is why don't we just all carry it? Yeah, no, I, it's a it's a good point, Lynn. I, I, and again, I learned, you know, again, I'm far too old these days to go to nightclubs and have absolutely no interest in doing it. But I know that a number of the large ones, you know, back before the pandemic in Guildhall Square, wouldn't let you in without photo ID. Uh, um, you know, because they wanted to be able to, should there be any trouble happen inside the club, then they would be able to compare the footage back with this they take a scan of your photo id before you go in um so mm. that they can they can check it's definitely you before so we... what would be the cost then so um yeah so uh excuse the lag making it difficult to kind of cut in without um without interrupting people but it um the interesting thing is we don't need to reinvent the wheel here in northern ireland they actually produce um an electoral identity card um, and if you haven't got a form of photo ID already, like a, you know, like a passport or a driving license, you can get one by applying um, to the electoral office uh, for one. And guess what? It's free. So, um, if I'm honest, from a libertarian well, from a libertarian Problem perspective, solved. yeah, I d I'm I'm I feel it's a solution in search of a problem. But on the other hand. Um, we also don't know how many people are in, you know, you, I, I don't want to cast aspersions about the validity of our voting mechanism. I'm not Donald Trump. Um, but if we, you know, it, if we could do one that makes it free <laughs> to the point of use, not if we could do one, um, as in get lost, but um, as in, you know, then then that would mean, obviously there would be a cost to the taxpayer overall um, for that. But in regards to, it wouldn't be disenfranchising people that don't have a passport or don't have a driving license. That would be the concern for me is that um, the danger that it would, you know, it would cut off a, a large part of the electorate um, that really need to have their, their voices heard. So it, it does seem um, there's there's to and fro on both of that, isn't there? Um, yeah, there is. I agree. Okay, so I still think that's the easy solution. It it, it sounds like it. Um, in the in the chat, um, I'm not seeing any more comments other than um, other than uh, Phil uh, followed up his comment with them um, for proof of address as per the Gosport trial. Um, as we say that you know, um, if the concern is about actual identifying the person before 
um, before the tele, you know, the person in the in the polling station, then you know you need a photo ID to do that, I guess. Uh, but Martin Lee Ralph has um, has congratulated our next guest, which was Tim Suffolk, on his magnificent beard. Those were those were Martin's words, but I don't disagree with them. So um, so Lynn, <laughs> thank you thank you so much for um, for being our being our first guest. But we're gonna, we're going to move on to our next subject in a in a whistle okay. stop tour i'll hang up now and turn the volume up <laughs> on the other on the other tablet thank you thanks ever so much lynn thank you so much cheers thank lynn bye 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 so um so if i get tim to um to unmute um then we should be okay then we will have voice to go with beard hello tim <laughs> hello hello simon hello yeah hello everybody um yeah, I would agree with you about uh, all that stuff about voter ID. I think it is, a, as you say, a solution in search of a problem because it doesn't appear to be a significant problem. Uh, I don't know how you said what tiny percentages it was. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I think when John Prescott, I think, was going to have, did have a pr proposal uh, all those years ago that Ian couldn't remember, um, or that there would be identity cards. And of course, all the uh, libertarians people said, no, I'm not going to be forced to carry an identity card. That's, I mean, we all did it in the war, for God's sake. Well, I didn't, of course, I wasn't quite old enough, but you know, it was never thought to be such a terrible imposition. The difficulty is, well, no, the, the, the thing now is it would have to be a photo or indeed a biometric um, card to be sure that you it wasn't just passed to somebody else. Indeed, let's. Um, I think it's an expensive solution to a problem that doesn't. It's a very small issue, really. Indeed, let's. Um, sorry, did you want to come in quickly, Ian, or should we move on to PR? I was just going to invite uh, invite Tim to introduce himself, and uh, obviously our dis next discussion topic is proportional representation. Tim and I, I understand you're a member of the Electoral Reform Society, and. Uh, and uh, would like to make the case for proportional representation. Yes, well, I, I, I would have thought that the case for proportional representation in general terms is pretty well uh, established by the ridiculous situation we have at the moment, where unless you happen to, for the person that's going to get elected, your vote counts for absolutely nothing, um, which it very often means that uh, more votes are thrown in the bin with no effect at all on the election and actually are used in electing a candidate. The objection, of course, seems to be that we love to have confrontational politics in this country and the thought that uh, there could actually be some sort of politics where you have a number of parties sitting around a table uh, forming a government uh, seems to worry people enormously that it will res result in in chaos and indecision and the Belgians took a year to form a government after their election, all that stuff. But honestly, I think many countries that have proportional representation manage perfectly well. And uh, the system that, I mean, I'm a member of the Electoral Reform Society, as you said, and on their website, I would recommend anybody to go and look at it, uh, they describe various means of uh, electoral systems which could produce proportional or other ways of electing people the one i favor is the single alternative the transferable single alternative no i keep saying alternative i do mean transferable vote system it's a little bit complicated mathematically but it is actually used in scotland and in northern ireland in local elections it's used in malta and it's used in australia so clearly it is a system that can work and the the benefit is that everybody's vote counts for something. Uh, nobody's vote is trashed completely. Uh, what happens, if, I could, if you want me to explain <laughs> how it works? Please. Um, you have, obviously, as with all proportional systems, you have a larger constituency, perhaps with four or five seats in it. Um, again, people's objection to that, who don't like this sort of thing, they say, oh, well, that makes the link between the MP and his constituents. Well, there's no reason to, any more than if you have a doctor's surgery with three or four doctors, you know, you pick the doctor that you want to go and see if you're lucky enough, uh, or if it concerns you that much. Um, 
And same way, if you've got a, like with a parliamentary, with a European constituency in the old days when we were in there, um, you know, you probably had several representative MEPs uh, for your constituency and you would presumably contact the one which you thought was most similar to your own viewpoint if you wish to have something raised by them. The way the system works is that um, a quota is calculated. You take all the votes cast in that constituency and you divide it by the number of seats plus one. And that gives you a figure which is regarded as the quota. Mm. Any candidate who gets more than that quota of votes is automatically elected. If they have then surplus votes, more than that quota, uh, those surplus votes are in proportion distributed the to their second choice, to the people's second choice, all the other candidates. And then the person, the candidate with the least number of votes after that is eliminated and their votes are then redistributed to their voters second choices um, this may sound a little obscure it's difficult to explain over the, over the line. but the effect of it is that you go on doing this until each of the candidates if you've got enough candidates over the quota to fill your number of seats four mm. whatever five seats but and uh, every in that way everybody's second third choice at least will be and uh, you know, it isn't wasted. And that, I think, is a great thing. So shall I let Ian, so, Ian come in? Yeah, so, so Tim, it's an interesting point there. And, and again, it's it, uh, look, let me put my cards on the table. I am not a fan of proportional representation. Okay. I, I am a, I believe that you elect the the person who represents your town, your borough, whatever that, that your constituency is the best person to represent, represent you. But the interesting thing for me in that, in your first statement there was about, um, you know, that Britain likes adversarial politics. And I think there is some truth in that, but I do wonder, you know, if we look at the, you know, the parliament over the last 10 years, there have been two occasions where, parties have got into you know a, a coalition or a, 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 a supply agreement and don't, don't in say the both situ in both situations for me the the the, the you know the the internet and the 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 the, the, the vox pops went absolutely mad about parties working together Yes, well, that, that is, is true, unfortunately. As I said, we are addicted to this confrontational politics. We set out our parliamentary chamber in exactly that way. It's a very medieval way of doing it with the, you know, the left and the right, quite literally, whereas nearly every other country has a sort of horseshoe-shaped or semicircular type assembly where members are spread round and there isn't a sort of sharp division between one side and the other. Mm. Um, you, I, I, our system, of course, does imply that you have both a government and an opposition. So whether that would imply in a proportional system that the government would consider a certain number of parties, and an opposition would also team up to form an opposition with the other parties that were the government. Um, so there would be sort of ding-dong to left yeah. and right system, I don't know. So but um, what I could say about about that is, I mean, I know the Lib Dems suffered bitterly when they went into coalition with the Tories in 2010 because the Tories absolutely screwed them in the next election, quite disgracefully in my view. But you see, that's because we have two very big major parties. Now, the Electoral Reform Society, I do have that here, uh, have calculated, according to I mean, the details, but they calculated what this what the composition of the House of Commons would be if the single transferable vote system had been used. Mm. Um, and it would have been this. 53, oh no, so that's a different, 312 Conservative, 221 Labour, 59 Lib Dem, 
30 Scott Nat, five Plaid Cymru, three Brexit, two Greens. Um, so although it, it still leaves the Conservatives and Labour uh, clearly as the major parties, um, I wonder if that would actually happen if we had installed that system, because that, that calculation was done on the votes as cast mm. in our existing system. Yeah. So, I, I, I know people would need to be educated to, to accept the idea of coalition and, and, comp, and uh, supply or whatever it is, where parties cooperate instead of fight each other all the time. So the, But uh, you, 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 yeah. if you had larger constituencies, as I said, you, you said you wanted this person being the best person to represent your constituency, Ian. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I dare say that Penny Mordaunt isn't the best person to represent me, frankly, very much, because I disagree pretty bitterly on most of the things she thinks about. She agrees, she, you know, she purports. So, purports. so she's not a good person to represent me. So if I can, if I'll just, if I'll share some more, um, some more data with, um, yes. with, our, with our listeners, just to kind of give them, give them a clue of the, uh, of the crux of the, of the point that's being made here. So if you look at the number of um, the number of votes for a particular party per MP that they secured, if you look at the last general election, for example, the Green Party with their with their lone MP, they they um, they secured um, around eight hundred sixty four thousand votes at the last general election, whereas the um, the Brexit Party obviously got um, six hundred forty two thousand odd votes. Obviously, didn't get any M MPs. Uh, the Lib Dems three hundred thirty four thousand votes um, and secured uh, twelve MPs. But the SNP secured only needed to secure twenty five thousand, so nearly twenty six thousand votes for each MP that they they secured. Um, and Plaid got um, just over thirty eight thousand, needed only thirty eight thousand votes for each MP. That they secured, and actually the Conservatives um, only needed thirty-eight thousand three hundred for for each vote that they secured. And when you look at um, when you look at the percentages of the votes nationally, the Conservative Party have got forty-eight point eight percent of the seats in Parliament, but only had forty-two point four percent of the vote at the of the electorate at their general election. The Labour Party only forty percent, so only only two point four points behind the Conservatives, but actually got forty point three percent. So considerably, so considerably less seats uh, than the Tories. So they got what fifty-five uh, less seats than than the Tories. The Scots Nats only three percent of the national vote because obviously they they only represent in Scotland, but they got five point four percent of um, of of the seats in Parliament. The Lib Dems seven point four percent of the national vote, but one point eight percent of the seats. Um, yeah. And you know, so it. So I guess the the fundamental point of the argument is how do you square the injustice of of a vote each vote in each constituency having the same amount of power as it does in every constituency because a vote in in a constituency in Scotland cons carries actually considerably more weight than a vote in Portsmouth South or Portsmouth North yeah. Mm. Yeah. and is that fair? Well, it's an interesting one. Simonton, because I do, I welcome your perspective on this, because for me, the, the, the layout of Parliament that you described there, Tim, whilst I think it's innately fairer to the Lib Dems in terms of the percentage of votes that they got versus the number of seats that they would have, it didn't feel to me much fairer to the Greens, who still only have Two yeah. part, two seats, so they go from one to two. You can spin the stats to see they've had seen a hundred percent improvement, but ultimately, for for me, the 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 PR system that you describe ultimately will always deliver a left centre left alliance between the Lib Dems and the Labour Party and the SNP. Ultimately, that that system, in terms of its design, will, will deliver that result in perpetuity because the chart you know if you look at that list there is only one right-leaning party in that list and for them to secure an absolute majority they would have to they would have to get an unprecedented level of votes well um Yes, but the, the level of votes they would get, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case, would always be the case. I mean, as 
So we have a system now, the parties are arranged in that way. That is, there mm -hmm. are more left of centre parties than there are right parties, I suppose, because the Conservatives are such a big party. They, they embrace all sorts of right-wing views, from quite mild right-wing views to very extreme ones. Um, you see, the other thing about our electoral system at the moment is it provokes or de almost demands tactical voting, which is a very ridiculous thing to do. The virtue of the, uh, the transferable vote system I've been talking about is that all the votes can be positive. If you don't want to vote for somebody, you know, you're not compelled to vote for somebody mm. that you don't like in order to keep somebody else that you like even less out. And I should think that if we had the system, the balance of the parties would actually change. And you might well find the development of more right of centre parties um, to give people more choice as to how far right they wanted to go. Uh, so on, on, not what the system we now have. On on that point, one of the one of the one of the points that we have from from the chat from Rob is that um, doesn't PR give a route actually for extremist parties, which you can see in in some countries in Europe. So, is is that a is that a concern of of this sort of system? Is you know at least first past the post for its many flaws, it keeps um, for want of a better word, it keeps some of the um, more extreme parties actually out of actually wielding any any power. Well, it, it wouldn't keep them out of the House of Commons, but it might uh, keep them, unless they were supported by a large proportion of the population, it would keep them out of government. Um, I mean, the Brexit party got three, would have got three under this system, apparently, and the Greens but two. Now, um, that's still not a very high total for the Brexit party, considering the round made and the effect they seem to have had on people's voting. Um, no, I, I, I'm not sure about you know how this actually mm. works in detail, but my suspicion is that if it would, of course, admit some extreme people into the Commons, but I think there would be very few and there would be enough of them to form a government or become part of the government if well, the other parties didn't want to involve them. I mean, well, and I guess that is that is the risk, though, isn't it, Tim? So, you know, again, look, uh, no, no secret here. I'm a conservative, but I'll be very candid that I was uncomfortable with us having to rely on the DUP to to get yeah. to effectively to function as government. Yeah. You know, they 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 hold views which don't sit with my One Nation conservatism, and I'm very was very uncomfortable about having to you know, accede to some of their requests and demands for us to be able to govern. And and that's, you know, again, it's an interesting one because what you've described for me moves us from a two-party to a three-party system. Now, I know that other countries have, you know, a, a much more fractionated party system where, you know, potentially there are 10, 15, 20 different parties from far right to far left who end up with representation in the parliament. Yes, they would, and they do. That, that isn't, I mean, that is democracy. Actually. You may not like the thought of having extreme parties in the parliament, but if they get voted in by a proportional system, which is fair and properly run, mm. then that is democracy, I'm afraid. But what you do yeah. tend to get, I think, is, is centre parties. They may be a little to the left or a little to the right. But you don't get extremes this way or that way forming governments. I think all the governments are going to be a little bit on one side or the other of more or less the centre ground. Mm -hmm. So reflects, I believe, what most people in the country uh, expect. Uh, democracy is always about compromise. And parties which try to say, winner takes all, we'll do exactly what we'd like to help everybody else, are not really democratic at all. I mean, I think we should be cooperative in our government and we should be prepared to meet others halfway in certain issues where it's necessary. I, I, I sympathise with your reluctance to go along with DUP in all matters just because you've had to go into coalition with them. But um, it does require a slightly different mindset to accept the idea that you may have a government formed of two or three different parties who will have to compromise with each other 
until find, they find a way which will suit most interests within society. Mm. No, and to be honest with you, Tim, I was a huge fan of the of the Conservative Lib Dem coalition. I thought I thought the Lib yeah, Dems. So was I, at the time. I, I, I thought <laughs> the Lib. It, but it, it's the thing that I I've I found fascinating because I thought the Lib Dems brought some balance. I thought in terms of, you know, some of their very progressive politics um, policies we've adopted now claim as our own, which is only right and proper. Um, but there's an element of the the electorate you know, destroyed the Lib Dems for, you know, and again, look, you could say that I'm biased, but when I looked at that objectively, in terms of what the Lib Dems had had to concede on to get their progressive policies through, it felt to me like they had won more than they had lost. But unfortunately, the, you know, the electorate just turned on them. And to this to this day, you know, there is an element of, and, and Simon and I have talked about it at length, that they're, that the centre-left ground was left open in the last election. And, and I was waiting and expecting the Lib Dems to charge into it and claim it as their own. But it would seem that, you know, is there an appetite for three-party politics well, I, or more than three-party politics? I think more than three-party, actually. You see, I mean, we already have more than three parties, although the others are very small in representation mm. in Westminster. But no, I quite agree with you. I think were did a good thing. Actually, I'm sympathetic with Clay when he went in to the coalition in 2010. Um, he made a colossal mistake over the student grant. And even that was very unfair because it was presented all wrong. Uh, you know, it was presented as though everybody, all the students were going to be charged £10,000 or whatever it is, 9000 And it wasn't like that at all. No. It, was, it just wasn't correctly presented at all and was entirely misinterpreted. And yep. I think so public we, yep. formed the wrong view of it. Well, um, let's... Um... So the public needs to be in this matter. <laughs> no. Um thanks Tim. I think um I think we're going to we're going to move on from the from the PR okay. um discussion. Um so thank you. thank you very much for your contribution and um we'll we'll leave you to your we we'll leave you to your beard and the rest of your evening and um uh, and, tonic. and your gin and tonic. <laughs> well, um well thank you for, but thank you very much Tim. Thank, thank you. you Tim. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay. So um so the last one that we um, we hadn't um, had anyone volunteer um, just yet. So if anyone pops up, then um, you could be a hurried addition um, in the time that we've got left. So digital voting. What do we what do we think yes. about that, Ian? Well, my view on it is that it it, it is a it, it's one of those things I can't believe it hasn't happened yet. But then there is a part of me. And I'm going to give you an own goal here, you know, an open goal for you to smash it into, which is when government tries to run really significant IT based nationwide systems, they tend to cost an awful lot of money. And sometimes they don't deliver all that you might hope they would. Uh, no, they, they um, you're, you're, you're right that um, but any large um you know, you look at the history of trying to deliver IT implementation in the NHS, for example. It's uh, mm. it's potmarked with very, very expensive mistakes and failed projects. But it's because of the number of moving parts, and then you get people changing the scope of a project or changing what they want it to do or evolving it. And there isn't a let's get something with some of the some of the um, some of the features that we want working, and then let's scale it up and develop it over time to improve it. So instead, they kind of seem to go for the big big bang approach which which really kind of ends up with a whimper and an expensive ah oh, thanks very much but we don't need all of these tablets tar um so from an it perspective i guess um for me bearing in mind we live in a world where we have phones that use face id or um fingerprint identification where we um have um you know all sorts of um you know two-factor authentication you've got things like um you know things like bitcoin which makes actually um, secure transactions online and things like PayPal. So if we're able to conduct, if we're able to conduct pretty much most of our lives online, 
Um, I don't think it's beyond the wit of human endeavor to be able to find a technological solution that would work. Um, yep. But there are a different, there's some different, you know, obviously the, the clear benefits are um, if it's easier to vote, um, hopefully more people would because they're able, they, you know, they seem to be quite willing to ring up and vote for um, um, ex-Tory MPs come dancing or whatever the hell it's called. Um, and um, and, all, and all sorts of things about the Big Brother house or whatever. I'm showing my age now. Um, oh, that um, we're on the cutting edge. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm on I'm on the I'm on the cutting edge of a butter knife. That's where I am. Um, so the 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 I guess the positive thing would be the convenience. Hopefully, the inclusion of disenfranchised voters that quite frankly are spending lots of their time on Facebook like everybody else. And if you've yep. got secure authentication that enables you to vote, and for that you know that to be clear. Um, to you, then, then, then why not? Um, if it's digital, hell, counting would be a lot easier. I mean, yep. um, uh, you know, I, I guess, um, I guess some people might have views about digital counting. That, this uh, is the greatest scam in the history of politics. This is. But you know, maybe, um, maybe not everybody feels that way. So there must be ways to to do that. And indeed, you could have some sort of hybrid system where you could vote remotely if you needed to. But if you wanted to actually go to the polling station, you did it on a machine that also produced a physical ballot. So you can see on the screen and on your ballot how your ballot has been registered and then put it in the ballot box. And therefore, you've got a paper backup um, yep. for the, you know, so there are all sorts of ways that you could you could do some sort of um, thing around that. The against... I think there's the, the, the two, sorry, two two challenges there, mm. which is which is you know, and again, I think it's probably why it hasn't happened. So as it stands currently, you know, you put your X on a piece of paper. You know, is there a trace? Is there an ability to trace back to you? I guess there is because they record the number of the ballot paper when you go in. It's just that element of, you know, this whole thing around is your vote anonymous. I've only just thought about that. Is it anonymous, or can they trace it back to you? Um, if you knew what the ballot number of that was a that was assigned to each voter when they went to the polling station, then you, I think you could. But you, but yeah. obviously that's that's not done. So, um, I, you know, I guess fundamentally though, um, the beauty of our pencil on a piece of paper system is that it's 100% unhackable but as we discussed earlier on it does mean that any old person can turn up and pretend to be you and vote now that obviously doesn't and happen much that we know um yep. so uh, you know if, if people that are voting would find out when they went to go to vote that you know someone's already cast a ballot on their part and i'm not seeing the you know the, the media yep. full of examples of that happening so um if anything postal ballots sorry um you know um as as um as Donald would say, the postal ballots. I don't want to see a crooked election. This election will be the most rigged election in history. Um, he's not keen on the old postal ballot, is he? No, considering that's how he voted himself. So it is a, is in effect the weakest part of our electoral system because you've got a signature that they that they use to confirm that the po you know when you apply for a postal ballot you sign a form and it's witnessed to say this is this person's signature and then that signature is compared to the one that you submit with your ballot when you when you actually vote no one's no one in no one is is able to validate that the the two people signing that or even you know if you if you, it's not you know if you wanted to, to fiddle it you could yeah. you can't make a perfect system but no. in the 21st century surely there has to be a way of doing this digitally surely there has to be a way of doing this to make it easier the easiest thing possible for people to engage with the voting process if anything I'd want people to spend more time being informed and understanding what the questions before them are than spending time on the mechanism of voting itself. I think that would have a better a better win for our democracy overall. And you wouldn't need to leaflet. Oh, don't say that. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. No, you wouldn't need to, would you? So if we actually had a proper electronic system that allowed you to, to say... Welcome to the voting for your costume councillor portal, where there's a little photo and a little, yep. you know, 100 word blurb on vote for me because I'm kind yep. to chickens and, you know, I like small children and aardvarks. Then you kind of you can you can do that all online before somebody clicks on the photo of their choice, 
cast their vote for them. I think it's all ultimately doable, Simon. It's just a question of, you know, ultimately, how many years would it take for the government to, you know, for any government to botch the thing together? How much would it cost? And it's that element of, you know, as we as we touched on with the first subject, is it an expensive way to solve a problem that we don't have? Um, I guess if, if if the goal you're after is to in, increase voter participation, and we've we've spoken before about, you know, obviously Australians have their democracy sausage. There are other ways to encourage encourage people to exercise their democratic right, and indeed, not voting is is a democratic right. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's that weird thing of, like you say. Um, governments and administrations are are horrendous at running IT projects, especially um, ones that cover the entire nation. Um, but it isn't something you'd necessarily really want to be, would be that palatable to issue to, you know, for example, a company um, that, um, let's call them Verco. If there was a company called Verco that was responsible for voting mechanisms um, that's hopefully, you know, better than, you know, a, track and trace system or something but would would you want a private company to be able to you know to have the ownership of the data well, that, that makes yeah. all that work is, well know. and that that's that that's where these things come unstuck isn't it this that you know you, you've got a situation where you don't have that infrastructure and i think this is where you know this is where and again we went where the danger is that that when you try and outsource that kind of activity you know, as we've seen before in our time in 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 industry, you know, you, you start bringing in interim project managers and you bring in interim IT people, you know, and they want six hundred, eight hundred pound, a thousand pound a day, and you just pay through the nose to get it. And I think that that's that is the risk that that this would turn into another ill-fated gravy train that would take, you know, four or five years to deliver a substandard or nothing product. Um, I've got two comments, one coming via the Zoom chat um, from, from Tim, uh, which is paper ballots can be scrutinised as they are counted and can be recounted. It's difficult to verify a totally digital system against hacking and fraud, uh, which could easily be on a grand scale, whereas it's much harder to fake ba uh, paper ballots mm -hmm. at scale, which, which is a really valid point. point. I mean, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I was suggesting actually a, a hybrid system, because it, it kind of helps prove either prove or disprove the point of that being a weakness and phil um said if it was an it system would you still have the option to spoil the ballot as a protest um having been to account and observed the sorts of things that are on spoiled ballots um i think that is actually that that's a, that is fundamentally a key part of the democratic process of actually saying you know the people that and they choose their own words and some of them aren't repeatable of you're all rubbish i don't want to vote for either of you get stuffed um, if if that you know that to be fair is is that voters' view, um, and yeah. I, and I and I think there's something there's something about uh, about having the facility to be able to say effectively none of the above they're all rubbish, yeah, or to say I'd like Simon and a member of UKIP. Okay, you, you see, look you. <laughs> Um, Ian's referring to the um, to the by election in Cosham in two thousand and nineteen, where every voter in Cosham um, was unable was had uh, um, two votes to put on a ballot that had numerous people. There were two people from the Conservative Party, two from the Labour Party, two from the Lib Dems, of which I was one. Um, a member, a person standing for UKIP, um, and a person for the um, the NHS Against Cuts um, Party, um, and some people. When you observe the ballots as part of the part of the count, you can, as a candidate, you get to go and actually see them being taken out of the boxes and counted to see that the number that's been there is matches the number that's ticked off against the against the voter register, and and then they count them in, into their parts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I won't go into that in more detail, but on some of them, it was clear that people had both voted for me, obviously someone that's not a UKIP type person, and for the UKIP candidate it was interesting, but I also saw ballots where people voted for. Um, the person at the top of the ticket, which was one of the Conservative candidates, and the person that was at the bottom of the ticket, which is the, which was Veronica Vadka, Wagner, um, for the NHS against cuts. So voting for the Tories, and insert your interpretation of Conservative Party relationship with the NHS here, and um, a party obviously um, 
functioning to stop those. Um, uh, on that spiteful dig, <laughs> you've spiteful. been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And I've been Simon Sansbury, and our guests have been Timothy, Timothy Suffolk and Lynn Oliver. Thank you, guys. <laughs>